A bodhisattva is one who is vowed to train to become fully awakened or enlightened in order to benefit all beings. This spiritual aspiration has inspired countless people to devote their lives to developing their capacities for wisdom and compassion. In this podcast episode, I'll talk about one of the bodhisattva's most important qualities, generosity. That doesn't just mean giving money or resources, but also time and protection from danger. And I'll share some inspiring verses from the Bodhicharyavatara, the classic guide to walking the path of the spiritual hero. Curious about the basics of Buddhism? Please check out my book, The Buddhist Path to Joy, and my free courses for beginners. You can find links to both in the show notes. May you and all beings be well. I want to just start by saying welcome. I'm so glad that you're interested in learning about a bodhisattva, you know, who that figure is, and today and specifically, um, how to cultivate your own baby bodhisattva nature through the practice of generosity. So just to review a little bit, in the last talk, um, I discussed who a bodhisattva is, and I kind of did it through the word bodhisattva. So bodhi um, comes from the Sanskrit. It is Sanskrit, and it means awakening. So the word Buddha, it means someone who has awakened. It's related to this word bodhi through the root word. And sattva means a being. So in in Buddhist thought, we don't just have like one lifetime to wake up and become capable of like freeing everyone from suffering. We have countless lifetimes possibly. So when this person is called a bodhisattva, it doesn't, it's because in their next lifetime, they might be human, but also they might be, you know, somebody that we might not recognize as human anymore. Um, someone more like, there's this idea of celestial bodhisattvas in Mahayana Buddhism. So maybe like a being made of light. They don't necessarily, you know, get born from like human parents and whatnot. So when we commit to becoming a real full bodhisattva, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, in this lifetime, I'm going to become like fully enlightened, or even I'm going to spend lifetime after lifetime getting born, having to go through junior high, (laughs) pooping myself in diapers and whatnot. You know, maybe that's what we would do if it was the most beneficial thing, but there's a lot of other ways also of being a bodhisattva. So that's just a little brief introduction to who a bodhisattva is. Lifetime after lifetime, they're going to be working on waking up, becoming fully awakened to like the true nature of reality, as Buddhism describes it, which is everything is constantly subject to change or impermanent. We don't have an inherently existent self. We're always learning, developing, growing. Um, And finally, well... In early Buddhism, there's there's three characteristics of phenomena. This is what you wake up to. And the third one is, if we don't understand that everything is constantly changing and there is no inherently existent self, we just keep chasing after the wrong thing over and over and over again, lifetime after lifetime. So that leads us to unsatisfactoriness or dukkha. And um, with Mahayana Buddhism, you get this additional characteristic thrown in, which is emptiness. Which is basically, not only is there no inherently existent self, but everything we could point at as making up a self also doesn't inherently exist. Like, to phrase that in scientific terms, we could say, um, you know, every 
atom in our bodies <clears throat> is made of subatomic particles, and those are constantly flashing into and out of existence. So what it means to be empty of inherent existence is like this whole light show that we see around us, everything our brain interprets as, you know, external objects, sights, smells, sounds, etc. All of that doesn't inherently exist either. So when we talk about a bodhisattva waking up to the nature of reality, that's what we're waking up to. And when we've woken up to that, there is no unsatisfactoriness left. We're completely just free. It's it's a blissful state. That's how it dis- it's described. So, you know, I think sometimes we think of pledging to come back lifetime after lifetime, working for the benefit of all living beings, and it just sounds like a slog. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's so much work and so unpleasant. But actually, you know, becoming a bodhisattva is all about waking up to the blissful nature of reality. So that's a little bit kind of recapping who a bodhisattva is, why you might even want to be a bodhisattva, and just so you know, anyone who aspires to this awakening is at least a little baby bodhisattva. So it's not like this word only refers to like great beings, like, you know, the Dalai Lama or somebody like that. All of us can aspire to to be a bodhisattva and we can at least, you know, create these aspirations, these like wishes to make some progress on that path. Excuse me. So welcome, Catherine. Nice to see you again. Welcome, Carrie. Welcome, everybody. So now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about generosity. Why is this even associated with the Bodhisattva path? And again, um, I'm using this text by Shantideva. It's the Bodhicharyavatara or the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, or I recently heard someone translate it as How to Be a Bodhisattva. That's like the YouTube-friendly title, How to Be a Bodhisattva. And it's all about how to be a bodhisattva. So I I read a few verses from chapter one in the last teaching, and, excuse me, that was all about kind of getting inspired to start on this path. And... Once we're inspired, the next question is, what does the path actually look like? And that's part of the reason that I wanted to talk about generosity today. If you're familiar with Buddhism at all, you know that it has many lists. And one of the important lists in Mahayana Buddhism, which is more prevalent in Northern Asia and obviously is is global now, one of those lists is called the Six Perfections. And the first of those Six Perfections is generosity. And there's not one specific chapter in the Bodhicharyavatara dedicated to generosity, but you find it scattered all throughout. So I wanted to talk about, excuse me, I wanted to talk about the importance of generosity and also some ways of thinking about generosity for those of us who are maybe like not flush with a bunch of cash. Personally, I spent eight years in grad school and I got used to just like being poor. And um, so like monetary generosity was not necessarily an option for me. So you might be interested to know that there are several other forms of generosity too. But before I even describe them, I just want to 
focus on why generosity is so important. Why is it the first of the six perfections? If you think about it, generosity is the willingness to offer what you have, what seems to be yours, what our, what our ego self takes as being mine. We're going to offer it to someone else. So even the act of doing that opens up the heart in a certain way. Our, our, our ego mind just wants to close down and have as much as we can for ourselves, whether it's time or money or, I don't know, candies if you're a kid on the playground. We want it to be mine. And the act of generosity is like the opposite of that closed fist of selfishness. I see others. I see their lack. I want them to have enough. So generosity, I think sometimes in the West, we tend to think of Buddhism as like people sitting down, meditating, becoming enlightened. And there's, there's not necessarily a sense of how many ramifications being a Buddhist actually has. And not even being a Buddhist, but just like using the Buddhist teachings for inspiration, even if you're not a Buddhist. So this practice of generosity, a lot of people might not think of it as like Buddhist practice because it's not meditation, but it's something that if you start training in generosity, if you just take this next week, you know, from today until next Monday, and you just try to find all your opportunities to be generous, to be, you know, open-hearted and open-handed, so to speak, it's an amazing training. And you can really start to see where you don't want to be generous. I find often, you know, we all have, everybody probably gives something monetarily, but we all have a point past which it feels like it's too much. Um, So it's interesting to run up against that. But also in terms of time, I find it very interesting to see when I don't want to take the time to do a small act for someone or to share something with somebody. So this, this practice of generosity, it's incredibly powerful and it's a way of undermining that sense of like, I am the most important person in the world, possibly the only real person or like, you know, only my feelings are really, really real to me because I only feel my feelings. So it undermines that sense. So having said that, I want to just mention several different types of generosity that you find in Buddhist teachings. And I will read a few verses from the Bodhicaryavatara too, but I just want to have, you know, a little bit of context there. Well, this is actually a good time, I think, to read the first of those verses to kind of define what we're even talking about with generosity. So this is uh, chapter five, verse 10. The perfection of generosity is said to result from the mental attitude of relinquishing all that one has to people together with the fruit of that act. Therefore, the perfection is the mental attitude itself. So this is the perfection of wisdom that we're talking about. And it consists of not only being willing this starts as a mental training. Okay. So I'm not saying like, go out and sign your house over to somebody today, but like we're cultivating the openness to be willing to offer whatever we have to others. And we're also offering the merit of giving 
to others. And I want to come back to that at the end of this talk and look at dedication, which is a very traditional way of closing your practice, whether it's meditation or giving, or whatever it may be. It's, it's a way you can close your practice. <clears throat> but first, I just want to talk about a few different types of generosity. And one, I've already mentioned it. It's probably the first one that most people think about when they hear the word generosity. It is maybe giving money to a nonprofit or a charity so that they can support people experiencing homelessness or, you know, people without enough food and these these traditional definitions of generosity that we usually think about, you know, seeing someone on the street who's panhandling, giving them something, whether it's money or not. Um, so this type of generosity, you know, it refers to our money, but also our resources like food, bottle of water. Um, our time, I think, falls under this, this type of generosity. What do I have that you need that I'm willing to share with you? <clears throat> the second type of generosity that I, I want to mention, and this is, I think, a really interesting take on the idea of generosity. It's profoundly Buddhist. And this one is the generosity of protecting others, of saving others from fear or from dying. Um, so if you're familiar with Asian forms of Buddhist practice, you might know that in a lot of countries, it's traditional to buy animals that would have been eaten um, or, you know, somehow killed and, and set them free. Obviously, this works better when you're buying an animal that you can just, you know, it was maybe fished right out of the ocean and you can just put it back into the ocean. You're not introducing uh, an invasive species somewhere that it doesn't belong. But this idea of an animal, I, I've done this with um, earthworms. That's one thing that's relatively easy to get and easy to release and won't just like die as soon as you release it. <clears throat> So if I can save a living being from being skewered on a fishing hook, and that's how it's going to die, then it's an opportunity to offer beings protection, to offer them safety. Hello, Heidi, sending love to everyone from Southern Maine in Wabanaki territory in the Northeast of the U.S. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. <clears throat> So this practice of offering protection, Heidi says, I love animals. Yeah, this is a great way to be able to, to really offer something and to do a form of practice that helps you, if that's what you enjoy, just try it. I mean, earthworms are not glamorous, um, but if there are, you know, maybe bait species of fish that are locally sourced and you can just put them back into a, a lake or a river or something that they came from, it can be a great opportunity for, you know, offering freedom from fear. But even if you don't have the opportunity to do something as dramatic as that, this is, this is something that can become a daily practice. You know, you're walking along and you see a bug on the sidewalk. Do you step on it or not? I never used to think of that as an offering of generosity, <laughs> saving this living being from, you know, the fear of death or from pain or from being squished. Um, but it's, it's a small thing you can do for another being. Some of us, myself included, you know, decide either to eat less meat or like in my case, I became vegetarian 
And part of that is reducing the demand for meat so that animals are not being killed for their meat. Um, and even if you decide you're going to keep eating meat, if you just take maybe a day or two out of the week and you don't just like skip the burger, but you actually reflect on why you're skipping the burger, then it's a spiritual training. So that's the second form of generosity that I just wanted to at least mention. The third form, <laughs> Heidi says, I move worms from the parking lot to the gardens. Yes, exactly. I like doing the same thing, especially when they're just going to get dried out by the sun and, and die. You know, you're not like preventing another meal or another animal from having a meal. They're just, they're just going to die. Um, <clears throat> so the third form of generosity that I want to mention here is the generosity of offering others the Dharma. And this one, so the, as teachings, so, you know, if you look at Insight Timer, it's a wonderful platform. It gives so many different people the opportunity to offer their own forms of Dharma to others. Dharma in a Buddhist context, by the way, doesn't just mean Buddhist teachings. It means like the truth, like liberative teachings. Like when you put them into practice, they transform your life and reduce the suffering and increase the joy and the ease and the everything good. Um... So when I say Dharma, I mean, you know, if you're a, a Christian, being able to offer Christian wisdom, or, you know, if you practice whatever form of spirituality, New Age forms, you know, shamanic forms, there's all these different ways that each of us, as we cultivate our own connection to what's sacred, becomes able to offer that to others as well. Hello, Joski. I'm glad you could join. Nice to see you. It's this third form of generosity, offering others the Dharma, that's really like the heart, to me anyway, the heart of the Bodhisattva principle. Um, I almost said Bodhisattva vow. I'll, I'll just say it. it. If you feel called to take this vow, to make this a real commitment, not just in this lifetime, but in future lifetimes, there is a vow that you can make that until you are fully awakened, you're going to keep training in order to be of benefit to all living beings. So anyway, one who has taken that commitment, their ultimate goal and the reason Bodhi is so important in Bodhisattva, the Bodhi means awakening. Sattva means being. So this is a being who is committed to awakening in order to benefit all living beings. And most of us are not in the position right now to really offer the generosity of giving Dharma. I mean, even me, you know, I'm, I'm sharing what I know, but like my commitment to the, the Bodhisattva path is that eventually, hopefully I'll have much deeper experience and be way more skillful at communicating it. So, you know, anyone who's committing to the Bodhisattva path has this motivation that sooner or later will be able to share the Dharma with others. And that doesn't necessarily mean like teaching with words. Um, there's this really great, I think it started as an Instagram account and now it's a series of books, but it's called the Dalai Lama's Cat. And um, I don't know if the person behind the account actually knows this, but there is the aspiration, you know, in the Bodhisattva's path, may I show up as whatever is needed 
You know, if it's a human, okay, fine. But like, cats, dogs, Heidi mentioned she loves animals. There's so many animals who teach us so much about life and how to love, how to be unconditional with our love. So there's really, you know, the whole world, uh, this is maybe coming from a Vajrayana perspective, but the whole world is expressing reality. It's expressing truth to us all the time. And the question is, can we listen? So, you know, this, this third form of generosity that I'm talking about, these are, you know, not like an ex- exhaustive list or anything. Oh, Joski says much purrings. I love it. This third type of, of generosity really is about, may I become like an open channel, like a, like a vessel in the sense of like an aqueduct or something. Like, may I become um, a person through whom the Dharma can flow? So, obviously, if we're going to fulfill this bodhisattva intention of freeing all living beings from suffering, we can't, like, magically free them from the outside. And this is the tricky part of the idea of a bodhisattva. Like the Dalai Lama, he can't like walk up and like tap you on the head and boom, all of your suffering like instantly disappears. Instead, and by the way, I think the Dalai Lama is a great example of like an actual bodhisattva. Um, he's someone amazing. If you've ever gotten to, you know, go to a, a live audience or teaching that he's done, you can just feel in his presence all this compassion and wisdom. So... <clears throat> What he does for us, I would say, is he evokes our own capacity for wisdom, our own capacity for compassion. So it's not that he like magically from the outside can just like heal us all or fix us or something like that. The Bodhisattva at the end of the day is is making this commitment to help others wake up so that those others can experience for themselves the true nature of reality. I think this is this is a really significant difference between, you know, this Buddhist idea of a bodhisattva and maybe the way that many of us were raised in a Christian tradition, you know, someone like like Jesus as he's traditionally thought of who just like saves you from the outside. So I just I just want to say that because I I think sometimes people hear about the bodhisattva ideal and they think like I'm going to become the Messiah. I mean, I don't think people would say that, but, you know, there can be a little bit of ego inflation that goes with this idea of like, I'm going to offer everyone the Dharma or I'm going to save everyone from all suffering. And at the end of the day, that's not exactly how it goes. You're helping other people to touch into freedom, truth, compassion, for themselves. So that brings me to the final point that I wanted to talk about, which is the dedication of merit as a form of generosity. And I just wanted to read you a couple more verses. This is from the 10th chapter of the Bodhicharya Vatara. It's the dedication chapter. It may actually be my favorite because it's very inspiring. Um, And before I read these, 
I just want to explain what dedication means in a Buddhist context. So the idea is anytime we do something positive, like even, you know, us being together for this live talk, you listening to this live talk, me giving it, like us creating our little mini sangha that maybe lasts half an hour or however long this, this talk lasts, it's a powerful, positive action. And when we wrap up, I don't usually do this because I feel like I'd have to explain it every time. And, you know, if you're not Buddhist, maybe it's weird or something, but we can try it this time. You can see if you like it. Maybe if you want to try it on your own, anytime you tune into a live session on Insight Timer, for instance, you could do that. But this, this idea of dedication is you've done something positive and before you just get up and kind of walk away and forget about it, you want to, you want to offer that positivity mentally again. I mean, we're talking about basically good karma. Like no one can give their karma to someone else. So what we're really talking about is, can I not only do a good act, a positive act, a helpful act, you know, whatever, but can I then not even try and keep that merit for myself? I think sometimes it feels like, oh, I've just done such a good thing. That makes me great. That's I'm better than all of y'all. And with this, it's the opposite. You know, may what I've done, may the benefit of it ripple out to everyone else too. I'm not going to keep this positivity for myself. It's debatable whether that does anything. I mean, you can't give your karma to someone else. So what does it even really mean to say I'm dedicating this, you know, the merit of, of all of us participating in this talk, we're dedicating it to the awakening of all living beings. But here's, here's my take on it. And this again is following something the Dalai Lama said. It's not that we're, when we dedicate the merit of our practice, that we're like literally taking, you know, $5 that my, my practice just earned me and I'm like giving it to someone else. There's no dollars. There's no giving. Ultimately, there's no me that cultivated it. It's like, can we appreciate this positivity and open it to everyone? This is not my good deed. May the, the benefits of it ripple out, benefit everyone. And, you know, it's just a small good deed, small amount of positivity, half an hour we've spent, you know, sitting and cultivating positive states of mind together. Are we able to offer that out instead of pulling it in? Steve says, for me, it's a reminder to step outside of myself and of bringing it back to the world. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's very important in Mahayana Buddhism that every time we practice, we recognize our interconnection. We just like at a very practical level, you know, every time I meditate and maybe it improves my mood a little bit, when I then sit down to write an email, maybe I'm in a better mood. Maybe the ripple of that positive state of mind goes on to that other person. Or, you know, when my husband and I sit down for dinner, maybe my work on myself does actually ripple out to those around me. And even if it doesn't, I'm still practicing that open-hearted generosity. So feel free to drop in the chat, you know, what it means for you to, to do this kind of, you know, opening out, offering to the world. And I'll read these couple of verses while y'all drop your comments in the chat. <clears throat> it 
This is so great. So this is the first verse of the 10th chapter of the Bodhicharya It's the dedication. And it says, by the good that is mine from considering, from, basically this means from writing the Bodhicharya how to be a Bodhisattva. May all people adorn the path to awakening. In other words, may all living beings get on that path that leads them at the end of the day to full awakening, freedom, love, etc. Through my merit, may all those in any of the directions suffering distress in body or mind find oceans of happiness and delight. As long as the round of rebirth remains... May their happiness never fade. Let the world receive uninterrupted happiness from the bodhisattvas. And if you're thinking, I just sat down for 30 minutes and listened to a talk, it's no big deal. This is an invitation to like every time you do some small act to rejoice in it, to reflect on the ways that it might ripple out. It's definitely going to keep impacting us. We're creating our future right now with our minds. So when we shape our own future, because we're all so connected to each other, we're helping to influence and impact everyone else's future too. So any little act, you know, moving a worm off the sidewalk into the grass, sitting down to meditate on Insight Timer, you know, writing a kind comment to someone else on this platform or on social media or something. No act is too small that you can't dedicate it and hope that, that that positivity ripples out to everyone. So I want to just close with one of the most famous verses from this text, which I think will be a great verse if you feel like taking, you know, just seeing how it feels for this to be your aspiration, your dedication. I just invite you to play with that. <clears throat> This is verse 55 of chapter 10. As long as space abides, and as long as the world abides, so long may I abide, destroying the sufferings of the world. The sole medicine for the ailments of the world, the mine of all success and happiness, let the Dharma long endure attended by support and honor. So basically, this is an invitation that every time you do something positive, every time you do a little act of generosity, that you can just take a moment and wish it to ripple out to everyone. You're not trying to keep this happiness only for yourself. And that in itself is a little cultivation of generosity.